On today's Question of Faith, does a Catholic need to be a disciple? Welcome to Question of Faith. I am Mike Hayes. I am the Director of Young Adult Ministry for the Diocese of Cleveland. And I'm Father Damien Ferentz, the Vicar for Evangelization. And I'm Christy Cabanis, the Director of Missionary Discipleship. Hello, Christy. Hi, guys. How are you? So does a Catholic need to be a disciple? I would hope. But <laughs> well, the reason we're asking this question is because just yesterday, Sherry Waddell was in town. Yes. Christy brought her to town. She was at uh, St. Albert the Great and then at the CPL in the evening. And was she's the author of Forming Intentional Disciples, if you're not familiar with the book. When did it come out? 2013? 2013? Yeah, about, something around about there. Then, yeah. yeah. And uh, she's working – yeah, because she's working on the 10th anniversary issue updated. And mm-hmm. she was talking about discipleship yesterday. She so. was. Yeah, quite yeah. a bit. And so does a Catholic need to be a disciple, Christy? Uh, Well, as the Director of Missionary Discipleship, of course I'm going to say yes, absolutely. But I think what's missing here is the Catholics are Christians, and Christians are people that follow Jesus. And disciples are people that follow a teacher. Mm. And Jesus is the teacher, capital T in both cases. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it just makes sense that... We need to be disciples because we follow the teacher. That's what makes us Christians, which makes us Catholic. Our our Catholic lens is how we interpret our Christian discipleship. Yes, I gotcha. Yeah, so in, in her book, she says that we learn that there is a chasm the size of the Grand Canyon between the church's sophisticated theology of the lay apostolate and the lived spiritual experience of the majority of our people. And this is, is this chasm's name is discipleship. So mm-hmm. people may be baptized into the church, fully initiated, even, even go to church. But her argument is not everyone who goes actually knows Jesus and has a personal relationship. Now, she comes from an evangelical background. Right. So the personal relationship with Jesus is key for her, but it's also key for a Catholic understanding of discipleship, but personal doesn't mean private, and personal also uh, doesn't exclude the communal aspect. But I think her question is, um, are there people who are have just been going, like you would go to a St. Patrick's Day parade because you're Irish, or right. you're, you're participating in these things because it's part of your culture, but you haven't experienced a deep conversion or metanoia. That's that's the question. Right, right, yeah. Curtis Martin at Focus uses similar language. He says like that the encounter is the thing that people don't talk about. He said it's like going to a, a great restaurant and saying and, and not telling anybody about it. You know? Oh <laughs> so, my goodness. Yeah, exactly. Christie's like, there's only a few mortal sins left. That might be one of them. You know? <laughs> uh, you know, but that's what you say is like, you know, people go to, if I went to this great restaurant and said, oh my God, I had great food. The ambiance was great. The service was impeccable. I mean, it was just so good. You'd want to go and try that out, right? You yeah. know, he said, but we don't do that with our faith, generally speaking. He goes, we, we don't say, hey, I know this guy named Jesus. <laughs> he goes, yeah. You might want to try him out. You know, he's really great. But he said people are a lot more muted about their own personal spirituality at times. Yeah, I think also in the Catholic Church, there is... In some ways, it's a funny separation that I've seen where people, they don't actually know Jesus. They know the church, um, but they're not necessarily seeing the connection between those two. So I have heard young people say, and I think I was even one that said it myself at some point in my life, um, oh, I can have this 
faith in Jesus and follow him, but I don't have a relationship with the church. And I think a lot of times when we see practice Catholics, and it's something uh, Sherry talks about, that that's exactly the statement she's making, is we see people that have a relationship with the church, but they're not connecting that to the person of mm. Jesus. They're not seeing the synergy there between the two of how we live as church as the bride of Christ is that this is us following him. And it's important to know what he said, what he taught, what he encouraged us to do. Um, that was for me. I mean, the scripture that I was bringing up to begin with to have this conversation was Matthew 28, um, whenever he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptize, you know, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Like, teach people to be like me. That's called mm-hmm. the great mandate, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Well, a lot of – and actually today is the Feast of St. Mark, and today's gospel is Mark 16, which is his version of that. He's sending them out, and they're going to be able to drink poison, not be harmed, and handle snakes and all that, and that he's going to be with them. So um, I've witnessed this, that people are disciples in potential, Mm. but that potential has not always been actualized. I've only been to one confirmation that Father Woost has presided over. Bishop Woost. um, Bishop Woost has presided over, correct? Thank you. You get in habits. Um, and I don't, so I don't know if he does this at all his confirmation homilies, but the one my niece was uh, confirmed last, last month, and he had a, a gift bag. And he said, there's a gift in here. Mm. And he kept talking up the gift bag. And then he got near the end of the homily. He said, now what if I received this gift back in, I think he was confirmed in 1976 or something. And he said, and I never opened it. Wouldn't that be terrible? I received the gift, but then I never opened it. And Sherry was talking about this yesterday in her slides. She said that in Colorado at this time of year where she lives, the snow's melting off the mountains and water is just rushing down the mountains and people are getting in their, um, what their, what do you call it? A raft, a whitewater rafting and going. And then she equated it to being like a rock in that river that's not receiving any of the water because it's so closed up. And so Mm, part of what we have to do is be open to the graces that are coming. So when we celebrate the sacraments, the sacraments will be there and they're providing, but there also has to be a receptivity and an openness. And so, and I'm sure we've all experienced this, maybe even in our own lives or the lives of ministering to others, that people who have been raised in their Catholic faith have a moment, sometimes as a young adult, an older adult, or a very old adult where for the first time in their life, everything clicks and they're like, Jesus is real. And I felt him. And I, but in a, in a profoundly personal way that maybe they hadn't um, experienced before they'd done the sacraments, but it hadn't, it hadn't pierced or penetrated the heart on a deep level where they've said, I'm a disciple. There's a relationship here. Something, something like that is what she's getting at. Yeah. It's what I say often. I say, you know, our job really is we're in the experience making business, if you would, you know, and and what I mean is that we're not manufacturing an experience for people, but we're inviting them to have an experience with us in some way, whether that's in church or outside of the church. It could be it could be mass, it could be a retreat, it could be a service trip, it could be all these things. A walking pilgrimage. A walking pilgrimage, perhaps. You know, all those things. But what we what we hope to happen is that they have a relationship with Je- an encounter with Jesus during this time that they can articulate and then tell others about. I think that that's what's missing, though. Um, I, yeah. I used to have this conversation with a youth minister I know um, back in Baltimore, and what I would say to him is people are having God experiences right now in and around and outside the church, um, and 
they don't have the language to articulate that. Yeah, that's right. They they feel this presence of God, but then they don't know what to call it. I think it's a lot to do with the fact that we lack religious experience um, with our culture. That that's sort of part of it. But I have found whenever I talk to people and you start to kind of unpack things with them, they'll say this happened, or I was asking God for this in some you know remote side way, and and. God answered my prayer. What I've noticed is I think a lot of times is people think that they're, the way I describe it is they're talking to the back of God. So I'm offering prayers, but God is super busy and he's big and (laughs) he doesn't have time for the likes of me. Maybe he has some favorites. Maybe Father Damien's one of those. God looks at Father Damien and, and smiles upon him and is part of his life. But for me, you know, I'm just lowly nobody over here and I'm talking to his back. So I want to, I know him. But I'm not really thinking that he's looking upon me. And mm. I think Father Mike Schmitz has a really great reflection on this whenever he talks about like going and letting the Lord look at you and realize he's interested in you. Yeah. It reminds me of the woman who touches the hem of Jesus' yeah. garment, right? You know, she's like, well, if, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I don't want to bother him. But if I touch right. the hem of his garment, yeah. then then maybe something will happen. And then he turns and looks at us, who touched me? You know, and they say, well, look, everybody's around you. Everybody's touching you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then he looks at her and he finds her because he knows the power has gone out of him. The healing power has gone out of him. And, and she has this encounter, right? And then she knows that this is Jesus. Yeah. Similar kind of stuff for us, right? You know, if we, if, you know, like you said, the back of God, you know, if I just tap him on the shoulder, maybe he'll pay attention. Well, and he has the power to do it. Like, same yeah. as you're saying with the woman. Like, I know he could do it. And I also think, like, even for myself and my younger life, I would pray for other people because yeah, I was sure, sure that God was wanted to take care of them. But I wouldn't ask for anything for myself because I thought, no way, not yeah, me. Right, yeah, surely not I, right? Yes. You know? <laughs> it's like you're thumbing through Sherry's book there. I am. So. Well, there's there's different stages that she has. Mm. Uh, like the, the, the one, the first is – can I trust you? There's a threshold of conversion. So you have to be in an area where you can be trusted. And then the individual is curious. And then there's an openness. And then seeking intentional discipleship. So there's even these stages along the way where um, I think I could track my own life and see, you know, raised in a good Catholic family, went to Catholic schools. But I don't think it was till my senior year of high school that I really started to take serious ownership and a serious deep dive into my faith. And part of that was because I was questioned by a classmate who had joined a non-denominational church and asked me about the Pope and asked me about Mary and asked me about the sacraments and made me question what I was writing as autopilot for the first 17 years of my life. Yeah. And that was a, a great moment of grace in my life that got me to take my faith much more seriously. And that began a, a whole process of conversion and conversions, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think it's similar for me. Like, I think so. You know, it's same like you. Grew up a very Catholic family. Did the altar serving thing all the way through high school. Was very active. Became a lector in my parish. Whole thing. Then went to college and said, you know, well, okay, maybe I'll get involved in this in some way. So I sort of did the same things that I did at home. Right. I was a, I was an altar server, and then the director of campus ministry came to me and said, hey, you told me you were an altar server in your parish. Would you do that here? I was like, really don't want to do that here. I think <laughs> it might be social suicide. Uh, but did it anyway, and and it was fine. Like, everything you know, everything was great. But it wasn't until I, I went on a retreat, and, like, then God became real for me, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, God became mm-hmm. someone that I could trust. God became someone who understood me, who understood my deepest fears, and more importantly, 
let me know those fears were shared amongst all my classmates. Yeah. Like what, what I was so afraid of, everybody else was too. That's funny. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and then I was able kind of to go forth and be, a, you know, be more of a leader, I would say, in, in terms of my faith and be more of a disciple. Yeah. Would it, is it fair to say yeah. that was the point of your life where you felt that God wanted relationship with you? Yeah. And because you realized that, you wanted it back with him too. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but sort of like what Christy was saying before, like I think he, I always knew he wanted a relationship with me, but I also think that he thought he, I thought that he was too busy for me. Like yes. he wants a relationship with me, but not really. You know, he doesn't want me to bother him. He doesn't want me to bring him, you know, my deepest darkest fears. He doesn't really care about those things. Maybe right. he just wants me to know that he's confess here. your sins, come to mass. Yeah, right. But, that's right. But yeah. no real f- genuine friendship. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's. That, that's similar to my story, too. And so I think, you know, if you looked at the paper, okay, he goes to church, he goes to Catholic school, confession once a year, and those things weren't bad. And my heart, it wasn't like I was going through the motions. It's just that I did not know the depth of the Lord's love for me. So therefore, I was like, well, okay, this is, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's enough. But it hadn't, it hadn't transformed my life or redirected it. Um, at the, at, to that up until that point, I think. I think, I, but my experience is like when you just described the stages that that was me moving along, and for me it was um, you know coming back to the church. I went through an RCIA process, and then I was in formation for three years um, in my diocese, and it was at the end, in the culmination of whenever I needed to do my service work. Um, I, my, my director had asked me to be here. My kids were there. My, my home was in this place. My husband worked crazy hours. I had to drive everybody around. And I was praying, oddly enough, for myself, but I was saying it was for the sake of ministry. I was mm. saying, Lord, I feel called to do this work and I feel called there, but I don't know how that's going to work out. And literally things happened, ding, ding, ding in a row so that um, I lost my job, which at first I thought, oh, my gosh, what the heck is this about? But they put me on layoff status so I could collect unemployment. I was getting paid. I could be at the parish as much as I wanted to. I was free to be able to pick up my kids and be there for them for all of the things that they needed. And when the realization, it was about two weeks after I got let go, that all of this started to kick in and make sense. And I called my spiritual director um, and I said, this is going to sound ridiculous because I've been a catechist for up till now. Um, I never thought that Jesus wanted something specifically to do with me or that he was interested in my life, Christie's life in particular. And I can't change what I know now that he has put these things in place for me so that I can do, live my passion, do this work that I'm so passionate, you know, that I love so much and be in service to other people. And that, I mean, it wasn't like I'm on the ground and I'm, you know, dying, but it was so pivotal to change Mm -hmm. my life. And I think that's the, the eye opening, woke up, smell the coffee, you know, thing that we're all hoping for people to realize that's when discipleship kicks in and really starts the, the mm-hmm. gifts are there you suddenly open it up and go this is the thing i've been asking mm-hmm. for all along <laughs> yeah. and then all the other sacraments make sense too yeah, like, yeah that's right well, what do i do and i you know i've straight oh th- there's the sacrament of reconciliation um god wants to enter into every part of my life mm-hmm. oh that's the eucharist so he's like eat my body drink my blood what oh that's for it's for all of us but it's there, particularly he's giving himself to me 
for the needs that I have and because he loves me and wants to be one with me. Whoa. So all these things are there and it's just, it's it's being alert and awake to the realities that are there. And I think yeah. a big part of our job as ministers is to help people recognize that and and name those graces or even name those desires for those graces because everybody's got that. I mean, l- listen to any pop, most pop songs are some yeah. desire <laughs> for God to party all night is a desire for eternal life so yeah. that good things won't and like there's all sorts of things that I think if we can help people recognize this Christianity and uh, Sherry said this yesterday too there is no one who is god forsaken mm-hmm. because god came to save the whole human race so anybody's situation is a situation that Christ it wants to enter into with all of himself right yeah yeah no it sounds familiar you know I, I was even thinking when you were talking Christy I was even thinking about like when I was in radio Two things happened to me. One, our this is horrible. My our general manager's little baby died, oh, right? Goodness. And so he set up a foundation for this for for people who have faced sudden infant death syndrome. And um, they had a big radiothon for that. And I found myself like down there all day, right? Like just working really, really hard to the point that like people noticed. Like people were like wow, Hayes is really great. You know, like, what, what, what's he doing, you know? And it wasn't like that I was doing bad work before, but there was something about that that, like, that moved me, right? Mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. The, you know, the, the service aspect of this, I think, was doing that. And I started to notice that, like, that was true all the time. Like, I worked harder at those things than I did at my actual job. Yeah. And it took somebody else to kind of notice that and tap me on the shoulder and say, ah, over there. Well, that, do you that, know that's what you're doing great? That's yeah. also an exciting conversation because I'm, I'm going to strongly suggest for folks to pick up forming intentional disciples because something else that Sherry talks about is charisms, and right. it's exactly that. It's when the gifts manifest themselves in a way for others, and other people will be able to point to you and go that moment. And I've had that too for myself. Um, I'm I'm not trained as a teacher, but there are times whenever I've been in a teaching role and people come up to me after and they're like, you said stuff in a way I never heard that like that before. And it makes sense, you know, but that's the, the those are the gifts that God right. also gives to us that are meant for others. Right. Right. Yeah. We, we, we figure that out as we go. Right. You yeah. Know? That's the way it works. Yeah. And so Sherry was at Albert the Great yesterday. She sure um, was. They yeah. were wonderful. We were so thankful. Um, everybody was terrific and it was a beautiful location. If you have an event, Call them up because it's awesome there. Yeah, great time. And then the, the, the church space is really nice, too. I've not, you've been around there a few times, right? Yes. So it's been added on to over time. Right. But now that you know that, you'll see it. But maybe you wouldn't. Um, the sanctuary is beautiful. There's mosaics from Rome. Father Ed Estoc is the pastor there. And the parochial vicars are... Father Michael Pekosik and Father Joshua Trefney, who's leaving, and newly ordained Father Deacon Dominic Gideon has been oh, assigned right. there. That's so right. that'll I be pretty that. cool. Yeah. Um, great, great grade school there. Uh, it's redundant because it's great. Right? <laughs> Albert the Great. But, um, They're doing good work. Yeah, wonderful parish for yeah. sure. Yeah, a lot of fun to be there yesterday. And then uh, for this Sunday, it is the fourth Sunday of Easter, and uh, we could take a look at uh, the readings today. What spoke to you? Spoiler alert, Jesus is telling us, well, through St. Paul that, uh, oh no, through St. Peter, pardon me, um, that uh, Jesus is calling us all to be his disciples. So just so you know, right in the beginning, it says, um, 
because uh, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Mm. Very nice. The fourth Sunday of Easter is traditionally known as Good Shepherd Sunday. Uh-huh. So there's a Good Shepherd theme in the prayers and in the readings. This this Sunday, the gospel, Jesus is talking about the himself as the gate. So I am Yahweh. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Here he says, I am the gate. Um, so what I like about that is it's not a rule. It's a person. It's him. Mm-hmm. It's the second person of the Trinity. It's Jesus Christ, true God and true man. And at the heart of our faith is a relationship, friendship, that God wants friendship with us. So he's like, I'm the gate. You're, I'm your way in. Right. Come to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's Pope Francis's smell of the of the sheep too, I think is derived from this. My friend Father Fred Fred Pellegrini talks about this all the time. He said that a shepherd, when he first starts out, he will lie down literally in front of the gate and let the sheep kind of walk on him. So that he gets the smell of the sheep. Mm. And then they and then they hear his voice and they follow him because he has the smell of the sheep, so it's sort of all the senses yeah. that the sheep has that that kind of help them be be the that helps the shepherd be known to them, so that they always will follow him. And Jesus says, "I am the gate. I am the one that you walk through, and that then I have the smell. You know, I have your smell. You, you, you are dear to me." I've I've I'm not a shepherd. I grew up in Parma. Um, <laughs> no sheep but, in Parma. Come but on. Depending on the biblical commentaries you read, you you learn these things. And I remember Bishop Lennon talked about a visit to Ireland where he watched uh. the shepherd and that they they literally know the voice of their their sheep. So if Mike Hayes calls yes. uh, the sheep, they'll come to him. But if Christy calls them, they'll be like, nope, that's not the voice. So mm-hmm. the voice of the shepherd's important. I did read once, maybe this isn't true, but the, so that there would be a pen um, to hold the sheep. Yes. And then... There, the the door where the door where the gate is that is where the shepherd would be. But I also heard that he would sleep there at night. Yes, that's right. And then, so if a wolf or some sort of predator came in, they'd have to go through the shepherd to get there. And that's why he's going to lay down his life for his sheep. So mm. I don't know how many of these things are true. I've I've not spent time in shepherding communities, but I I love hearing. Okay, that's how the smell of the sheep gets on. This is why he calls himself the gate. There's so much there. Yeah. Yes. I also just love the bit, though, about the, the sheep know his voice. And so, yeah. friends, I think if you're going to be disciples, you got to know the shepherd's voice and how do you know it, but then to enter into the relationship and be the disciples. So. Mm-hmm. I owe my life to a sheep. Have I ever told you this? No. So my, my father grew up in Ireland, and he was going to be given a sheep farm in Australia. And that was how he was going to get out of the farm in Ireland. He didn't mm. want to stay in the farm in Ireland. It was driving him crazy. And they said, well, wait a minute. You can't just go off to Australia. You have to learn how to be a sheep farmer here in Ireland, where sheep are plentiful, by the way, if you've mm-hmm. never been, right? And so they send him off to the sheep farm, and he's shearing the sheep, and he's loving it. He's just like, this is great. And he's getting all the wool off of them. And, the, and he said the sheep loved getting a haircut. You know, He said it was just wonderful. And then the guy came over and said, hey, you did a good job. You know, you did this from record time. He goes, and he hands him a cleaver and says, now finish the job. And my father's like, what do you mean? He goes, you have to kill the sheep now. Oh, no. Oh. And he, t- he took the neck of the first sheep and pulled it back. And the sheep looked at him with these big sheep oh. eyes. Bah! You know, kind of thing. And he was like, and that's the end of the sheep oh. farming. And so instead of going to Australia, my father came to the United States and he met my mother. And so I am alive because of one little Irish lamb 
Aww. I probably should be a vegetarian, right? You, know? you should, yeah. But lamb chops are delicious. <laughs> you know, I went out with Sherry and Francine on yeah, Sunday she was night. Us we, this. we ate lamb, and it was good. <laughs> and I told her, "You'll this is her first time in Cleveland. You'll never forget the technically Lamb of God with lamb." And she saw Lake Erie, so yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was great. So, Sherry Waddell, if you're listening, thanks for uh, thanks for gracing us with your presence yesterday. We had a delightful lunch with her yesterday. Also, yeah, she was wonderful. And whenever I uh, did the send off at the airport this morning, she. She said you're doing really good work in Cleveland, so that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, good to hear. So, thanks for that, and uh, hopefully, you'll listen to more of our good work here each week on Question of Faith.